This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The sea harbors many dark legends. Her waters filled with harrowing tales of those brave enough to master her power, only to find themselves tossed mercilessly into the sea by her unpredictable ways. Cursed to roam the seven seas for all eternity aboard the ship that brought them their demise. From antiquity to present day, sightings of phantasmal ships have appeared across the world, some blazing bright, illuminated as if on fire, others described as if in a state of eternal celebration, music and laughter being heard from the shore, while some others are taken below deck as slaves for all eternity. The souls of these drowned sailors have even been said to appear before locals, visibly wounded or even missing limbs. Tonight, we explore two infamous phantom ships hailing from opposite hemispheres of the globe, both mired in murky lurches of maritime history. So join us for a look at the phantasmal El Caliuch of Chile and the haunted Chalur ghost ship of New Brunswick. Tonight, on Into the Portal. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are back with a brand new mystery. It really is. Yes, we are discussing Phantoms of the Sea. Yeah. Very creepy. And we've got two amazing legends to share with you all tonight. Mm -hmm. Before we dive right into that, though, we do want to just quickly update you all. So we have a new Patreon mini so that is set to be released tonight. Yes. And this is going to be really exciting. What we've done for all of you is we've decided we'd like to give you all a special Christmas present, which means that we're going to give you a little preview of our Patreon. So yeah, yeah, this is going to be a free app um, for all of you to go ahead and preview. You can listen to the entire thing um, on our Patreon page for the next two weeks. So up to the new year. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you going to give a little, what's it about, Amber? Oh, well, this one is another legend that hails from Australia. And it has to do with... um, UFOs it has possibly. to do possibly it's an unidentified flying object right. technically so in that regard um yeah it's a very interesting case and yeah. a lot of history a lot of myths and legends around it so we're gonna get into that this week or month definitely <laughs> so pop over to patreon and uh, make sure you guys check that out because we just wanted to give back to uh, mm. to everybody who listens and obviously we uh, we love you all we're super appreciative totally everybody, so. and so we will have that link just in our show notes um so episode description make sure you just scroll to the bottom of that or and it'll be in our links yeah and yeah it's just kind of it's a fun way to us for us to sort of push our patreon a little bit and uh well, yeah, we definitely. Really... Like we we really love 
doing the show. So it's like Patreon is the way of actually, you know, like chipping back, right? It's literally like a cup of coffee. It's like a cup of coffee totally. a month. And you, and you get something in return and we get to gain a whole new member into our community, which we love to interact with all of you. Absolutely. And you give us so much fulfillment and it's the reason we do the show. You guys keep the lights on. And I know that that is just a, a bit of a, you know, <laughs> cliche to say, but true, it is though. true. And the show has grown so much in this last year. We're almost reaching a full year that we've been doing this. I know, right? So really what we want to be able to do is dedicate more time and more energy and we simply just need a little bit more income yeah. to help us kind of reach that sort yeah. of new level. Yeah, that's right. And just a bit of a push. Exactly. A bit of a push. So like Andrew said, for literally the price of a coffee, yeah. a latte, people, you'd buy us a latte, right? <laughs> and you get like, and we really make it, uh, you know, worth your while. So the people, people that have joined us on there, I think are really happy and it's just going to keep uh, improving the, the contents. Just I'm excited for what we have coming. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. And then one other thing um, to, before we get started here, uh, reviews, we, we didn't have any new ones today because iTunes was being a bit of a jerk. Uh, so oh, yeah. Apple Podcasts and iTunes, we, we hopped on there to like we usually do every week. And uh, we're missing like half our reviews. They kind of just ganked them from us, which um, we've heard from some other members in the in the podcast community that that has happened to them too, and that they kind of come and go and disappear. And it's just this weird phantom review page on iTunes, which is fitting for this episode, I suppose. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it really sucks. Yeah, so um, lots of your guys' reviews that have left on there are currently missing. So if you guys haven't had a chance to leave a review, please hop on there and do so, um, especially now that we've kind of yeah. hit a little bit of a road bump here with Apple Podcasts. We'd really, really appreciate that. Let's fight the good fight yeah. against Big Brother, <laughs> which right. is iTunes. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. So let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. Like we said, we are discussing Phantoms of the Sea, otherwise yeah. known as ghost ships. Right. And so we all are familiar with the idea that the sea is kind of her own... Her own master, I guess we could say. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It harbors many dark legends filled with harrowing tales of all sorts of, I don't even know, like drowned sailors. You get the, the the classic one, right, is the Flying Dutchman. Sure. Yeah. And we're not discussing that tonight because it's just a little bit too mainstream. No, like the Dutchman mm-hmm. and there's there's a bunch of other ones. Like there's literally, if you look all around the world, there's about hundreds of ghost ship stories. Totally. And just to make the clarification um, too, actually, I don't know if you if you have that in your section of notes here at the top, but like the differences between a ghost ship and a phantom ship. Mm, let's get into that. Okay, so... Because today on the show, we're not, we're not really doing ghost ships per se, because in the sense that like a Mary Celeste or a ship like that, like an abandoned ship. I see what you're trying to say. Okay. Where you Mm -hmm. find a ship, there's nobody on it and it's mysteriously abandoned and it's like a ghost ship floating around. Or like the Dutchman, it is like an apparition. Mm -hmm. It is a phantom ship that comes and goes as it pleases and Mm -hmm. may have more supernatural powers to it than just being a... uh, Yes, a mysterious ghostly ship floating in the sea. So there's that's, the clarification there. That's important, yeah. And I didn't even really think about that. Well, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. So yeah, we aren't discussing uh, physical ships that have shown up on, you know, like just abandoned, whatever. Mm-hmm. These are legit phantasmal ships yes. that have been sighted offshore by hundreds of witnesses over the years. Uh, very similar to a case we actually discussed with Brian and Angela over from Double Density when we did our yeah. cross-country paranormal checkup too. Shout out to those guys. Because <laughs> we covered the teaser, which was a very interesting case. And that mm. was a, 
was it from the 16th century? It was an early schooner that had been... Yeah, um, 1500s. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Exactly. So that ship actually had documented proof of it going down in flames in the harbor. Right. Uh, to which it was uh, consequently cited for decades and hundreds of years afterwards. Right. And still to this day, right? Under the right conditions, That's people right. see the teaser appear. And then they see it basically um, get engulfed in flames. And then the crew comes out and they're... Like, literally, this is how detailed it is. Where the crew is out there and they're trying to put out the flames. And they're, like, you know, panicking all the stuff. and around the deck. Yeah, exactly. Like, sailors jumping off board. Right. <laughs> like the thing. I'm, I'm not... I'm not not sure if I'm getting confused. So that's the, the teaser was the one in Northumberland Strait. Yeah. Right. And on, on the East Coast. Okay. Sure. Okay. Definitely. Okay. All right. But for tonight, we will be going down south for the first uh, story of okay. the evening. All right. Yes, we will actually be discussing a Chilean ghost ship known as El Caliche. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, this is definitely more than a ghost ship. This is like a spirit of the Chilean seas that has existed in Chile lore for centuries from the earliest days of the Spanish conquistadors. So at least 1600s, probably even, or sorry, 1500s, even earlier than that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So pre, right. So this isn't like modern Chileans. This goes way back before. It really does. Contact. And it continues to be cited to this day. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So what is it? It is, like I said, a ghost ship. And essentially what people see are... They see basically a massive ship that is just like illuminated by the heavens come out of the mists on certain days. And it's always, um, it's, it's always in this one specific area and it's just offshore of, um, the island. Oh my gosh. The island of Chilote. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. The island of Chilote. Um, near, it's near the Southern point and, um, essentially, it appears out of the mist in full bloom, mass billowing bright white, as if illuminated by the heavens themselves, as I said. Wow. So this is more so considered a mythical spirit in traditional chill-out folklore. And basically they say that the ship and its helpers, helpers, which we'll get into in a second, keep the sea cleared of bodies by bringing them aboard as crewmen to forever man this phantasmal ship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. And so essentially... This sort of mythical sort of entity is said to roam to wherever it's needed or to wherever its next victim can be found and then consequently bargained with if you believe the darker tales of the El Caluch. Okay. All right. <laughs> so this is All fun. Right. I never heard about this one before this week. Um, that's how far ahead we planned this episode. <laughs> Just give that away. It's coming up to Christmas. It's been a bit of a grind. <laughs> We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up, though. No, I'm we really do. Excited. We've got some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know this is it's such a fascinating tale. I would say that one of the most interesting aspects of El Caliuch is that it is a very celebratory seeming um it's almost like a party is going on forever on this ship okay is how it's described and um a lot of legends tell how el caliuch is actually said to appear before native chilotes every new year's eve and it's almost as if the dead are coming back to say hello and celebrate with their lost loved ones Interesting. yeah and so i have this really cool quote here from esoterics it was um actually a guy named stevers which wrote about the el caliuch in 1935 and this is what he said. The, the Caliuch does not always slay those who see it. However, oddly enough, the natives of Karen Mapu, sorry, tell of seeing it every New Year's. 
The procedure there to raise the ghost is a beach party, New Year's Eve being in the summer season of Chile with plenty of liquor and good cheer. So they go to the beach and they (laughs) just celebrate and then the ship shows up. And then just to continue on, he says, sometime after midnight, the Caliuch is is sure to appear, a result which, which we can reason out as we would like from the procedure used to evoke its appearance that was a really confusing quote sorry guys <laughs> i wonder if that's even like translated it is definitely translated yeah it for sounds sure. like it is yeah so essentially he's saying there that they, they kind of raise it up as if they're almost um it's like a resurrection so to, so to speak or maybe not so much a resurrection but they're just simply calling out to it right like mm-hmm. on at specific times like on a new year's or something exactly like that. it reminds exactly. me of almost like a day of the dead or something oh, yeah. like that where it's like more celebratory than not that's actually a really good up, way to phrase it scraping up the dead bodies around the uh, the area though to bring into your crew sounds a little bit more like pirates of the caribbean-esque it's it's very interesting because obviously this is has to do with the lore of the afterlife for these people and just the idea that say the tragedy of losing a loved one on the high seas or say they're fishing and then they end up getting swept out to sea or something yeah just the idea that you could maybe see them again on the ship and that they are still there but they're sort of existing in tandem to our reality on a party ship on a big old party ship that's the original cruise line <laughs> for the dead <laughs> yeah this was like pre like caribbean caribbean cruises or whatever that or uh, not viking viking river cruises. oh the viking that's river too, cruises that's too small i'm trying to think of like a big one. <laughs> oh, princess cruises princess cruises or even disney cruises sure, hey, they have sure. crazy things yeah so this is such a fascinating tale and interestingly enough Though El Caliuch has been described by many people who've cited it, a lot of people will say that it is sort of an enigma and that it can't really be described because it doesn't resemble anything except itself, which is weird, right? Because you would think like, oh no, we're talking about a ship. Like obviously it has, it's made of wood, it has sails, it has mass, it has whatever, it has crew, whatever. Cannons maybe or whatever. Like sure. Exactly. But it's interesting. um, This girl, this is a woman who studied the ship. Her name was Gabrielle Mistral. And she had some interesting things to say about on this regard, specifically the description and the appearance of El Caliuch. And she said here, basically El Caliuch cannot be described because it resembles nothing except the Caliuch. Push to define it, one can only stammer negations. It is not a whale, although it appears so in its knack of overturning fishing boats. And it is not a ship, although it is called for no other reason other than that it navigates. So it's on the water, therefore they call it a ship. So there's stories of it legit like turning over sh- boats. Yes. Fishing vessels. Yes. there are. T- I didn't actually come across any specific um, like things that I could quote for the show tonight. But yeah, there is definitely a lot of that. There's an idea that it's uncatchable. So okay. it's basically like this phantasmal i don't want to call it a mirage because like it almost seems that way or it's like you can never reach the end of the rainbow because it just keeps getting further and further away from you type of thing yeah but essentially yeah that's kind of the case here interesting so Mm -hmm. it's like hmm so the way i kind of described or thought about it in my head i was like hey it's kind of like half ghost ship half moby dick (laughs) well that just (laughs) makes me think it's some sort of i mean yeah like it's it's clearly taking on the form of whatever it's around because like when it's when it's in the form of a ship or someone sees it mm-hmm. it's oh i think you have that just down below here because mm-hmm. like what does it actually look like as a ship presumably it's a spanish ship it is. right it is definitely it's um and it's basically described as having three large masts five sails each 
and it's a beautiful bright white ship, clean as a whistle, brightly lit from within. White. White. Because it's, it's, um... Like it, glowing. Exactly. It's illuminated. Okay, okay, okay. Seemingly from within. And a lot of people say that that's from the party that's going on inside. <laughs> and you can hear the sounds of celebratory drinking, partying, dancing, singing, all this stuff. People, you know, being ruckusy and riding around. <laughs> but, interesting enough, people that see the ship above, um, above the waters can also describe how it all of a sudden disappears. Like just poof, it just dips under the under the waves, under the surface. Okay. And it can navigate under the sea at will. So very similar to the Flying Dutchman in that regard. Yes. And absolutely. so you can see, like there there have been cases where you can see the illumination coming from uh, below the surface, that type of thing. Okay. Yeah, so cool though, and it is definitely considered almost like a shape shifter. So again, like uh, that this Gabriella Mistral, um, in her book Pat. Panorama Ecolor in Chile, de Chile, says here, suddenly on the loneliest of these southern nights, the Caliuch emerges and runs a long course in full view, navigating at full steam, almost flying, without permitting herself to be overtaken by any whale boat or poor fishing launch which might try to follow her. The fleeing thing, in the sight of fear-crazed fishermen, is a phosphorescent mass whose deck swarms with sea devils and a tribe of witches very like them. <laughs> so that sounds a lot more ominous than a than than a, you know, hearing partying going on on Oh, board. exactly. It yeah. sounds more ritualistic. Yes. Like as if mm -hmm. this has been summoned. Exactly. So that's where we get the first reference there of these sea devils and witches. There are definitely brujas and brujos, whatever you like, it's feminine, both, masculine, both. Or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, involved in this sort of lore. And they play a very important role. They are essentially the masters of the ship. Okay. Exactly. So how I alluded to it earlier, where it's like... Um, the souls of the dead will essentially have to make a pact or a bargain with these people in order to actually gain entrance onto the Caliuge. Um, and then there's also people... <laughs> yes, there's also the people that don't end up partying, okay? So, yeah, these sinister spirits or sea devils, as they're referred to, um, basically can come at will on board the ship. And... It's basically this, like, it's just like a free-for-all. So there's, like, there's a lot of good stuff going on where people are, like, you know, they're in eternal party mode, that type of thing. But then these people can show up and kind of, like, flip the switch. And then there's also these sort of, um, like, almost, like, phantasmal water horses. What? And these, like, spirits that ride on them. And they're, like, considered these evil brujos-type things. And they can basically bring the souls of the drowned to the decks of the ship. Right. So and then that's, that's how, they... how they're sort of brought to the, yeah, to, to, to the place where they'll make a deal for their soul. <sighs> and, okay, so th this is where we get to the layers of the onion here, which is basically the hierarchy of this ship. Okay. Because there are the people that have been granted this extreme privilege, right, of just being like forever having a great time. And then <laughs> there's the people <laughs> that don't get that and are basically forced to work as slaves of the ship and keep the ship running. So this is like the actual crew that's like manning the decks and stuff. And uh, essentially they're trapped outside in the cold uh, to man the ship miserably for all of eternity. Okay. And it's, I don't even it's know horrible. exactly how this comes about. Like if there's a sort of morality involved, like the good actually gain entrance and then the bad don't. 
or how this is described. Like, it was kind of vague. But essentially, yeah, like, there was one account that said that, like, people could be kidnapped. (laughs) And so, like, fishermen and sailors and stuff that aren't careful, careful can actually be kidnapped and brought aboard the ship. And essentially what happens is they're mutated to an extent where they aren't human anymore so they become monstrosities themselves and their heads get turned around and their leg gets twisted so they only have one good leg and they're just mangled so horribly that they can never leave the ship because of their sheer monstrosity that is such a sweet plot for like a horror movie doesn't it kind of something. remind you of bootstrap bill in like uh, pirates of the caribbean absolutely it's like mm. almost like a mix between that and Actually, well, no, it's pretty much exactly that because like those guys couldn't die. They were like perpetually Mm -hmm. cursed or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it almost reminds me of the void to that section where it was like that room, not to get too gruesome, obviously, because we're not clicking the explicit button for this episode, but (laughs) that room where it was like, um, those bodies that were like trying to die, but couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially that could, I imagine if you are like that, I could see it being like a bootstrap where he's like, he's trying to kill himself because he's like, I don't want to be out here anymore. I don't want to do this. And you just can't. Yeah. So these evil warlocks or like brujas or whatever you want to uh, call them that sort of make these packs with people, they, it's interesting, right? Because the way it's described here, this is from another website, just via adventures. (laughs) (laughs) And it says here, um, still others claim that the Caliuch is crewed by warlocks who make magical packs with certain traders, offering them prosperity in exchange for dark favors and promises. Okay, so this is where we're getting into another sort of layer again, because people have actually claimed that individuals in the Chilote um, culture that have experienced extreme wealth and good luck, a lot of people say that they have made a pact with one of these brujos. And these are like the indigenous people. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah. just to be just to be clear. Exactly. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like selling your soul. Exactly. Yes. Totally. And uh, yeah, like like we kind of alluded to, it is a shape shifter, so it will disguise itself to maintain its sort of like you know like um, I don't even know like yeah to maintain its status as the sort of ambiguous sort of um, spectral sort of I don't even know what you would call it. It is like a purgatory. Right. Because you're not really going anywhere. But like it's you're... like, but it's almost like purgatory is a place or a concept as mm-hmm. a place. And this is like a moving, morphing, shifting pur- purgatory. Mm-hmm. It's like a little micro version of it that moves around in the shape of different things, which totally. is freaky deaky. And you get the, you get both. You get the good, you get the bad. Eternal punishment, eternal celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who you are or whatever you're into. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So... I did get into a little bit, like, trying to uncover, was there anything, like, historically relevant for this? Is there any basis in reality? Um, was the El Caliuch a real ship at one point? Um, it's very vague. Yeah. A lot of people do try and brush it off as simply a legend. But apparently Spanish conquistadors do have records of a ship called the Calanche. The Calanche. Okay. So very similar. So El Caliuch, the Calanche. Yeah. Close enough. Um, and, and it did disappear in the early 1600s. And it disappeared in this ship called the Strait of Magdalene. Um, and this is the same place where the El Caliuch is said to appear. Really? Mm-hmm. So it is kind of one of those places where it's a very dangerous waterway, I would imagine. And so a lot of ships did join El Calanche hmm. in the watery grave. Right. And it's interesting. I did come across some... Uh, other accounts that were saying that they saw El Caliuch appear and that she was followed by a sister ship. 
that was also similarly like illuminated from within and very phantasmal and and it actually was so closely resembling another ship that did disappear it does have historical records of disappearing and drowning or not drowning <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the crew drowning. going down yeah. and the crew drowning yeah. yeah so that i thought that was really cool really neat that's yeah i mean obviously when there's things you can fall back on like that to i mean whether or not you can find the exact name the Kaluch, i think Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter necessarily, yeah, because we're going back a long way here. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and think of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ships that have right? sunk. Exactly. Nearby and <laughs> think about just a side point here: um, ships would change names. Mm, yeah, they would. And I, I know that we did come across this with the, was it the Cyclops, the case that we covered, where it changed names uh, um, because of war. Or it changed names because of ownership, and they just, like, you know... Right, which is, of course, that's bad luck. Bad, bad, bad Bad juju for doing that, right? I mean, uh, that's what happened to the Mary Celeste and different (laughs) ships like that. Don't change the name, people. (laughs) Just don't. (laughs) If you christen it, that's the way it's going to stay. Okay. Unless you go to christen it, and it's like that scene from uh, Caddyshack where they just snap off the whole front of the the (laughs) ship with the bottle. It doesn't even break. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't think I was going to slip a Caddyshack reference into this episode. Get a bowl of soup with that? (laughs) (laughs) Buy a ad like that, you should get a free bowl of soup. (laughs) Oh, the danger field. Oh, Oh, so good. So good. Okay. So that was all I could really uncover on the historical end for this case. Uh, But there's some cool philosophical elements. I was reading through Esoterics. They did this awesome, really long blog post about this stuff. And... They, they did focus exclusively on El Caliuch, and they happened to bring Foucault into the conversation. Oh, goodness. And for all y'all that have never heard of Michel Foucault before, um, let's just say <sighs> it'll just explode your brain. Yeah. Uh, like it's just one of those ones where he gets super effing philosophical. And <laughs> it's it's really to the cool. Where it becomes the point where you almost, he deconstructs what you take to be natural reality so to such a far degree that you meaning breaks down everywhere. Yeah. It's just crazy. Right. But he had some really cool things to say about the ship, not ghost ships, but just ships in general as a site of perfect otherness. And the, the, the phraseology of that is like interesting, right? Okay. So a site of perfect otherness. So otherness as in anything defined as that, which is not the self. Right. So anything that exists in contrast to what you sort of, feel is your own identity kind of a thing and this is where we get into ideas of the abject that which is wholly other that which must be radically eliminated in order to maintain the boundaries of self and identity right is kind of the loose definition of that exactly and just to give up an example for people just so you can have a physical example would be like frankenstein is the classic example example, right so it's like it's very very much like you but not to the point where it's abject and you have to you have to get rid of it a lot of um notions of the abject do play into notions of monstrosity absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah exactly So anyways, yeah, so the ship as the site of perfect otherness. Okay, so this is actually one of the most understandable quotes from Foucault that I've come across, and I was very impressed with it. That's just understandable. Okay, is it it the title of the book? I'll give it a quick read here. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyways, um, okay, so he says here, The boat is a floating piece of space, a place without a place that exists by itself. That is closed in on itself and at the same time is given over to the infinity of the sea. 
and that from port to port, from tack to tack, from brothel to brothel. It goes as far as the colonies in search of the most precious treasure, treasures they conceal in their gardens. You will understand why the boat has not only been for our civilization from the 16th century until present, the greatest instrument of economic development, but has been simultaneously the greatest reserve of the imagination. The ship is the heterotopia par excellence. In civilizations without boats, dreams dry up, espionage takes the place of adventure, and the police take the place of pirates. End quote. That was from 1984. Interesting. But I just thought that was really, really interesting. The site, the idea that a ghost ship or just a ship in general can be seen as a, a, the pinnacle of otherness, a site of eternal punishment, all these sort of things, right? It's almost like a dislocation from the, the constraints of every other place of reality, right? Absolutely. Well, and the line I love the most out of that quote is obviously a, a place without a place. And that ties into the whole idea of a phantom ship. It's a place, you see it, but because it's without a place, it disappears. It right? It can't stay, and you can only exactly. see it in certain circumstances and, and whatever else that whatever other ingredients need to come totally. into play. It's it, yeah, a place without a place. It's like defined by its ambivalence and the ambiguity that surrounds it. Right. Which is very, very fascinating. I absolutely uh, fell in love with that quote when I saw it. I was like, okay, well, this is a must include. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but that's... it's interesting because it's the idea that the rules of civilization are either modified or absent in the sh- setting of a ship, which I find, he, he refers to it as um, heterotopia. I would sort of ascribe more of like um, masculine heterotopia to that. Okay. Uh, obviously, Bonnie and Reed would be exceptions to that, right? In the whole like lore of pirates and the lore of the seas and everything else. But like not even exceptions to it because they had to pretend to be men. There you go. Exactly. Right? I mean, they, they were exceptions because they were women, but they they were exceptions because they were falsities. They were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like they broke the mold and well, were like, "I'm a woman pirate," and everyone's well, like, "Dang, that's pretty badass." Like, no, yeah. everyone thought they were men that's very so. true especially mary reed right like and bonnie was a little more ambiguous about that right because like she, she was kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. She, she was on the hip of the other exactly pl- yeah. with a uh, red jack beard or whatever, whatever. Calico. or calico jack right <laughs> red beard <laughs> <laughs> but anyway this place without a place i think you can even just like broaden that to more of what we talk about on the show too right this idea that there are sites around the world that are almost these in-between spaces. It's almost like the cracks in the drawer where things slip through. And sure. a lot of the times it's a mix and it, it, it almost defies explanation or definition. Actually, right? that's so cool. Do you, you should just give um, a loose definition of that um, that article you've been reading on oh, the, on the Yaku Gears and the yes. idea of the cracks and the idea of the world as like a dresser. With okay. Compart- and it, it's really Shoot. cool and it, t- it ties into this. I wish I had it right in front of me. That's okay. I mean, you know, you know the gist of it. <laughs> totally, yeah. So I was reading into the Yaku Gears and that's a traditional Siberian culture. Yes. Uh, and they have existed for eons, right? Long and time. they have a very rich um, oral tradition of a lot of things. And they have their own explanations for UFOs, for aliens. They essentially believe, and and for things like, say, um, uh, overhunting, they don't actually consider um, the disappearance of, say, um, a population of elk as them just being killed off. They basically say that the elk have gone elsewhere. Right. What is elsewhere? So essentially what they configure as elsewhere is this 
series of drawers. You can think of it as like a, uh, a cabinet and there are three layers. And then within the three layers, there are individual drawers within those. And then within the drawers, there are even smaller compartments. And so everything has its own compartment. And so say a Yeti would exist in a place that is adjacent to our reality, but in a different drawer. Sure. And so obviously there are things that are closer to our world um, than others. Right. And so what the Yakugiers kind of configure is this idea that when things slip through, that's when we get things like the unexplainable. Yeah. So things like a UFO appearing overhead sure. or something. And so it, I honestly love that. It's this idea, this beautiful, eloquent way of sort of... Um, configuring uh, like you know it's the same idea of the analogy of the bubbles right universes existing in bubbles that are right beside each other and they're all over and some are more adjacent to others and you know all this kind of stuff and they're all touching right and the same idea with the drawers there's these cracks and there's there are these connections between all of them but they're not they're not they're not wide open so to speak and that's mm. what shamans are for, mm-hmm. or brujos or brujas in this case, potentially, exactly. right? To bring you closer. To, to perform a ritual, to be able to change form and be able to travel to and from these other compartments. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and possibly with this ship, if it's being summoned or if it's a, a spectral entity of some mm-hmm. kind, I don't know, it could tie in. Totally. So even to extend that further with the Yakugir, so they consider it a vital process of almost like recycling. They don't see it in the same way as like um, um, Buddha's reincarnation and stuff like that, but they do see it as a necessary process where the soul must be um, sort of passed on to its next state kind of thing. And so this applies to humans, this applies to animals, they basically are interchangeable. They see a human can actually become an animal spirit. They yes. can kind of like transmutate. Yeah. And then this can be temporary, can be permanent, depending on the severity of it and the intentionality of the person. Absolutely. But again, just to reiterate, like the, the article I was reading in particular was talking about overhunting and how the Yakugiris don't really listen to the sort of environmental, ecological kind of viewpoint and perspective because they do adhere to this sort of um, epistemology, I guess I'll call it. Yeah. And in particular, so essentially if a Yakugir man or hunter goes out and finds a lot of deer, or no, not deer, like elk or whatever, whatever they're yeah. hunting, um, they will kill them all. They'll come all. They won't take, they'll take the choicest cuts of meat that they want. They'll leave what we would consider to be a lot of waste, but they don't consider it waste. Like, it's just this... It's different epistemology. It's bizarre for me, the way I'm describing it right now. But anyways, yeah, it's very cool. But just to, yeah, the cracks in the drawer is the main sort of thing. So if you hear us referring to cracks in the drawer, we're talking about you could hear (laughs) epistemology. (laughs) But very cool, right? Because then, again, right, these are spaces of otherness. These are spaces where we don't really fully understand the rules or anything. And so when we do get glimpses or hints, then... That, yeah, glimpses of, say, the El Kaliuch coming up out of the depths of another, you know, dimension or whatever. Like, I, I don't well, know. Well, that's the thing that's most interesting to me. Like, there's, I mean, I've you've got questions down here. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I hope I'm not No, go for it. Here. Let's have it. Yeah. Um, like, one of the big ones I have is this idea that, one, it tra- one, people see it as a ship, but then it can kind of, like, it dives down into the sea and leaves not as a ship, more like it'll almost be like a, in, a, in the form of a whale or something like that. Totally. That, that's it's like semi-sentient. Totally. Described. And that, that is like, that's very ghostly, like mm-hmm. shape-shifting, you know, appearing as one thing and then another thing, not just a damned ship that is stuck 
mm-hmm. in like a purgatory. You know what I mean? That is more yeah. of an entity in and of itself. Totally. Mm-hmm. And then this whole monkey wrench of the brujas and brujos being involved too. Well, brujas and brujos, as we know them, or had touched on them in our, mm-hmm. you know, last brujas episode, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're physical flesh and blood sorcerers and witches and, and warlocks for the most part anyway. I mean, you could... That's the confusing part to me because I'm not really so well versed in that specific sort of segment of mythology that like, I'm not sure. I think they are just talking more so to like these like sort of evil spirits. Like actual spirits. Or sorry, I don't even want to say evil. Like they're just spirits. Yeah. Mm. That are kind of like, they, I mean, they do have sorcery like type powers right. If stuff. you're kidnapping fishermen and like forcing, like that's pretty dumb. Like that's like, that's a hell ship. True. You know I mean, like you're being taken essentially to like work for all of eternity. That's very true. Ship, like. Exactly. So it's like, what are these people? Are they like Satan's like helpers or something? But <laughs> but there's also other things too. Like there's these um, uh, what I refer to as those spirits that ride horses that are kind of I re- I saw them referred to as the Serena Chilota sisters, which are basically mermaids. So there's that element too. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Very much so. We got ghost ship. We get. Um, Moby Dick phantoms type thing. We get sorcery, we get mermaids, we get all this stuff. Totally. And actually, I forgot to mention this here, but El Caliuch actually comes from this um, traditional indigenous word called Cal... It's spelled K-A-L-E-W-T-U-N. So Hmm. essentially Caliutan, which means shapeshifter. Oh. And so that's where you get the idea that it changes into a marine animal at will to sort of disguise itself and that type of thing. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's... I'm so just like, I'm so, so... I know you looked up the pronunciation before the show, but it's just like, I feel like it should just be the Caliuche. It just sounds like so, like, out of Pirates of the Caribbean or something It like that. does. I know, right? I don't know. It's... So, yeah. Yeah. I, so the question I have to ask you yeah, now okay, that I've sort of right. presented this whole thing to you mm-hmm. is what are your thoughts here? Do you think this is more of a ghost ship or do you think this is kind of a metamorphosizing spectral entity thing? Kind of like what we saw with um, 50 Berkeley Square. That's kind Ooh, of what I was okay. thinking it could be similar to. Like, That's Yeah, if you're going to try to draw lines, that would be the one, <laughs> as obscure as it is, to draw lines to just because it, it has... Yeah, elements of, of uh, yeah, ghostly apparition, but also just, like, like, you know, like weird, fan- yeah, like, yeah, yeah, in between, <clears throat> this phantasmal monster that's kind of in between. I have, you know, when it comes to ghost ships, like, for the most part, the stories are typically, like, you know, a ship, it's, it was a pirate ship that sank, and they're just, you know, they were all gonna be going to hell anyway because they were horrible people or whatever, and so they're damned, or they were cursed by locals or something like that, typically is the thing, so it's like a purgatory situation. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that this one is is more of a... Sp- <laughs> I don't know. I sound so crazy in my explanations, right? But it's just almost like... It's like a sea ghost. It's mm-hmm. like a... It's a it is a, it, some sort of like an ancient ocean ghost of some kind. And potentially the reason why it, it takes on the shape of a ship or a Spanish galley as the El Caliuche, Caliuche <laughs> is because... I don't even know, like, the last time it had, there was a real violent incident, maybe was during, you know, the 1500s or something, say. Mm -hmm. And so that's what its main form is. 
mm-hmm. so to speak. Or you could get the idea that it, the sightings occurred after the formation of the mythology of this sort of a ship, right? Of of something that will take in all these lost souls at sea. Right. And then right. from there, when the Spanish arrived and this, these amazing ships came and then they witnessed the destruction of several of them on in that specific strait. Yeah. Then maybe they could have added to the lore. But the, the one thing I did come across with this one is the idea that it wasn't too heavily tainted. There's like an even mix of conquistador mythology and traditional Chilo mythology. I apologize if I am mispronouncing that as well. Okay, but seriously, like we type it in on Google or like try to get like an audio clip and it's like half the time you get them and you're like, that can't be right. Like I'm not going with that. that. Yeah, like that sounds worse. I'm just sticking with my misprints. We're not going to stress about it too much. Well, (laughs) but it's cool, right? So, okay. So we get this sort of weird amalgamation of sorcery, mythology of a shipwreck, possible cryptozoological elements. And then this, yeah, yeah like paranormal a, tinted sort of thing. Like some ocean. sort of a giant glowing white whale. Yeah. Crypt, cryptid. And <laughs> it, it is cool because it, this, they do describe it as being like phosphorescent, illuminated, like this like, you know, spectral, like from the heavens type thing. But they never describe it as being on fire, which we did see with the teaser, right? They did describe how like literally this ghost ship would appear in the Strait of Northumberland and off the coast of Nova Scotia or New Brunswick or Newfoundland. <laughs> I don't know, new something. <laughs> and, oh, and, and I they hope would Brian watch. and Angela listen to this. <laughs> but essentially, they would watch um, the 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 actual sails like go up in flames, burn up. Yeah, yeah. So there, there yeah, is. Yeah, that's very, very different. That definitely, yeah, like a glowing light. It almost sounds like it's like the light of the moon type light. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'd be curious, and obviously, like we, you, you, you couldn't find any stories that described it specifically but like when it dives beneath the water if like a wave is created or if it just disappears like without a trace oh that's a good right? question or if there's like a like, you know, like, a, like you know like mm-hmm. a wave created from a something submerging yeah um yeah well, no i never but the idea that it's responsible for overturning fishing boats like that is kind of effed up right? man like is that just a conflation of say um like a giant squid or giant whale attack on a ship like you're, you know, a shipping, shipping vessel, <laughs> a fishing vessel. <laughs> Could be a shipping vessel as well. Sure, that makes shipping. sense. We're shipping, sh- we're shipping ships. It's a ship of ships. It's a ship of ships. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of this one, honestly. I don't pretty, know. pretty strange. I love the whole element that you get kind of the heaven and hell stuff too within the setting of purgatory where there are people having a miserable time and there's people having a hell of a time on the other side. Parting <laughs> it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, we're not going to get too far into, like, um, theories, skeptic arguments, and all that until the end, until after we present this next case. Yeah, I've got a case to present, too, Ugh. on the complete other side, uh, well, not other side of the world, but uh, kind of, sort other of. Other hemisphere. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But before we do, uh, we're going to stop for a promo break for two of our favorite shows and uh, some good friends of ours over yeah. at the Kryptonaut Podcast and Graveyard Tales Podcast. Yeah, yeah. So you guys listening are probably super familiar with both these shows. They're awesome. They're so um, good. Both are both are uh, different in their own right, but are just both are hilarious. They're so like, good. They're super funny. They've got their style down. Pat. Styles down it's pat. Just, uh, just like, nailed it. Absolutely. Like and just both awesome shows. So I, I did the the crypto grave yo. The crypto <laughs> grave yo. That's right. That's the hybrid of the of these two shows. So uh, and we, we should probably tweet that out when we uh, yeah. release them. So take a listen to uh, so, to these promos and uh, make sure you guys check out these shows. 
Welcome to the Kryptonaut Podcast, hosted by Mark Storrs, Chris Carnicelli, Rob Morphy. Join us weekly as we explore everything from aliens, cryptozoology, the occult, ghosts, paranormal phenomenon, ufology, and unsolved mysteries, all while keeping a close eye on our reptilian overlords that dwell in the flat, hollow, robot-infested Earth. This is the Kryptonaut Podcast. We are available at CryptonautPodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Good evening, everybody, or morning, or afternoon, or whatever. My name is Adam. And I'm Matt. And we are Graveyard Tales. Now, if you like stories of ghosts, hauntings, the paranormal, preternatural, and the downright weird, and you enjoy a few laughs as well, then you should probably check us out. Find us anywhere you get your podcast. Come join our Facebook group at Graveyard Tales Podcast, or on Twitter at G-R-V-E-Y. Just go search Graveyard Tales. That would be easier. We look forward to seeing you in the graveyard. See you soon. And we're back. So make sure you guys go check out those shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So we're moving on here to our second phantom ship of the night. <laughs> and it was kind of funny, actually, when we were kind of looking through the all the different phantom ships and ghost ships. There was a whole, like, there's a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, many of which that were in, like, you know, most of the articles are in other languages and stuff. But we, we settled on a Canadian one. A Chilean and a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> kind of random, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I like it. I like it. So though, so this um, phantom ship is known as the Fireship of Chaleur Bay, also known as the Bathurst Phantom Ship. It's kind of shared between Quebec and New Brunswick as a legend. Cool. And this area of the east coast of Canada is known basically for it being a territory of the Mi'kmaq First Nations people before European contact. And we're familiar with the Mi'kmaq um, First Nations from uh, Canadian Pickers when we yes! used to watch that show because yeah. they'd be traveling in the East Coast and they would always find these really cool Mi'kmaq, um, like uh, hand-woven like bags for carrying fish and furs and stuff. Yeah. Really, really crazy craftsmanship. Like, Some really of them cool. really well-preserved, too. Yeah, I, yeah mm-hmm. I would love to find one of those. That'd be sweet. Did they find a whale bone at one point that was like a Mi'kmaq? I think they did. It was some sort of like a weapon of some kind that had been carved out of a whale yeah. bone or something cool or like, like an ornate like staff or mm-hmm. something anyway. so this is the this is the this is the territory where these people were established before european contact and it was actually also the territory where uh i've got it here uh, jacques cartier visited mm. and did some things and it was basically just a super high traffic port um all throughout like from the 16th century all the way through up until full-blown colonization right okay so Okay, so this is kind of similar in a sense to the teaser like you referenced at the top of the show as well in terms of it being not a glow like the Caliuche, mm-hmm. but a flaming ship. Cool. The question is why, where is it from, or what the hell's going on here? Yeah, totally. Okay, so um, it's basically, it's typically seen as a form of ghostly light, but with more of a glow, you know, more of a reddish glow, like flame-like glow. What's most interesting about this is it always seems to take place before a storm, typically. Oh, interesting. There have been some that claim to have seen it during the day, but most of the time it's in the evening and before a storm is coming, which is kind of neat. That's cool. To tie it into the Caliuche, it is also typically seen as a three-mast galley ship. 
similar to those of the Portuguese and other travelers in the 16th century that would have been in the area. The conquistadores. Exactly. Mm. Essentially, so yeah, it looks like a three-mast galley ship set ablaze in the, bla- in the bay when the conditions are just right. So it has to be like before the storm is coming in. And the, the legends basically say that, sorry, um, and the legends as to where it came from and where it could could be now are both extremely dark and they're they're dark dark cool. stories dark mm-hmm. origins <clears throat> excuse me so <laughs> in late 1800s and through the turn of the century there were a ton of ships heading in and out of Shaler Bay and they're mainly merchant ships some passenger ships um, and at this time there was absolutely no lighthouse and there was also pirates, like privateers, oh, yeah. um, big air quotes, privateers, right? Mm-hmm. But they were essentially just pirates like we've discussed before. This is definitely past the golden age of piracy for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, but at this time in the bay, there was no lighthouse. And so this is where we get the first origin story of this phantom ship. <laughs> Already bad news bears. No lighthouse? That's like kind of necessary. <laughs> you, you, you know what? You'd think that that's some good foreshadowing as to how... <laughs> Why there's a phantom ship, but it's actually not what you're probably thinking. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Let's hear it. And I'll get into more of a description of the ship itself as we go through here, because, of course, there's very similar things to the teaser, like people can hear screaming on board, scrambling the deck, trying to escape, people jumping off the ship, attempting to escape. Some claim that they can hear Portuguese being screamed. Others claim that it's English. Portuguese. Uh, some claim it's French. So it's that clear that they can actually pick up like some of the stories and words. Yes, ah, and there's actually been other ghostly sightings too, and I'll get <laughs> to that as well. Okay, so but like I said, at the time there was no lighthouse, uh, and this is according to the Bathurst, New Brunswick um, city website. So ships back then would sail into the bay, and as they lowered their sails, um, they would fly a special flag for a pilot vessel. So a pilot vessel would come out and <clears throat> guide them through this sort of narrow section into the bay because they knew where the rocks were and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So they could get you to the shore safely. Hmm. There was one particular merchant uh, who was more or less a privateer, not a merchant, but he called himself a merchant, mm-hmm. who made frequent visits to this coastal sort of village region, and he became well acquainted with the Mi'kmaq people and could speak the their dialect of Algonquin. Wow. This guy went by the name of Captain Craig. I tried to dig up some more stuff on him. I don't... It's kind of a little vague. I couldn't get a first name. Captain um, Craig. Isn't that his first name? It's fairly... Well, is it? I don't know. Craigie? Craigie Craigs? Craigie Craigerson? Maybe his first name's Captain. It's his, <laughs> and he just happened name's... to be a captain. <laughs> his name's Craig Craig. <laughs> Craig Craigerson. That's a weird name, hey, Craig. He... <laughs> Sorry, no, it not... is. It's like what that sounds English. It or is something, right? Yeah. It sounds like an English privateer. Yeah. Or oh, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. European, clearly. I tried looking into it. He it seems like he was likely a real person, but I couldn't find too much other details on it. Okay. But he made regular visits in the legends to, to this village. Mm-hmm. Spoke Algonquin, visited there every year. So in the Bathurst official legend of the story, there was one morning when Captain Craig's ship was seen in the bay. And they've waved their flag to the pilot vessel. And after they had done so, the, the ship came up, brought them back to the shore safely, no big deal. And they began doing what they normally would. They would, were trading for furs, resupplying the ship with fish, other goods, usually trying to swindle the Mi'kmaq people out of furs by mm. trading them alcohol and things like, you know, like getting them drunk and yeah. like the typical stories like that, right? Um, taking advantage of people, right? 
Yeah. A typical pirate, so to speak. That's very convincing, though, because he knows the language, and he's making inroads that way. And then, just to flip it around, oh, it's just the classic colonial narrative of just taking over and just being a total dick. Oh, but he, he's, uh, he's, got, uh, he's got some things coming to him here. Let me just take a oh, sip, good. Of my, sip of my pale ale here. <laughs> what are you enjoying over there, Andrew? <laughs> I'm enjoying a nice local vice and virtue pale ale. Now yeah. we'll have to tag Vice and Virtue in this episode when we, when we post it. Mm-hmm. All right. So his his crew's on, on shore. They've been, everything's all normal, right? So they, they end the afternoon and they've sort of completed their business and they, they're heading back to the ship. So they have the pilot vessel. They, they're, you know, kind of guide them. They're taken back out to their boat and they're ready to set sail. Basically, they had just begun to set sail just as the pilot vessel was sort of leaving, like floating away, right? Like heading back to shore. Mm-hmm. When the man piloting the vessel, who, as the legend goes, was a lar- very large Micmac man, he heard someone crying and moaning and sc- and a little bit of screaming coming from right where he was, like below at the you know what would be below deck because okay. he's in his like dinghy or whatever, right? Oh, really? But okay. at this point, the rope, the 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 ladder or whatever that he, they had climbed up to get back up was still down, so he quickly you know climbs back onto the boat. Mm-hmm. And demands that Captain Craig lower the sail immediately and to drop the anchor because he sensed that something was very, very wrong and he knew they had to stop the ship. Yeah. So the captain and his first mate outright refuse. However, when the pilot basically, he threatened them. He was a massive, massive dude. And they were still close enough to the shore that they knew that he could easily jump off, get back. Um, and that if this didn't end well, then they would never, they weren't going to, you know, return there and make it like a nice peaceful trip the next time or be able to manipulate them in the same way. Right. Yeah. So they're refusing at the beginning, this big, huge Micmac guy basically intimidates the captain, even though they've got a bunch of crew, he doesn't want to just say like, kill this guy. He Mm -hmm. has a little more sense than that. And so he reluctantly agrees. The pilot ends up, I call pilot, but you know, the the guy, he ends up peeking into the cargo hold. And he finds two young Micmac girls who were tied up, completely covered with furs, like completely, completely buried in them so you could hardly hear them. Mm-hmm. The pirates had, of course, kidnapped them with mm. the intentions, of course, having their way with them at sea and then tossing them into the middle of the ocean yeah, on their like trip a, back to Europe. Oh, lovely. You know, just uh, some, you know, disposable human beings. Yeah. Hmm. Classy, right? Uh, I'm sure it happened all the time. Yeah. And you know, it's actually interesting. Um, there, I saw a Vice article uh, relatively recently. There was this mural on a building in Bathurst that was of the two Micmac girls like tied up. Really? Quite tasteless. A kind oh. of a tasteless mural. It had been up for a long, long time and they, um, it's finally been taken down. Oh, that's um, even though it is part of the legend, like the story can stay, but I mean, that was a bit yeah. of a you know, put that up on the side of an entire building, you know what I mean? Oh, like, God, no. Yeah. That's kind of, it's a bit much. It is, yeah. So, like I said, being Micmac himself, the, the pilot frees the girls. The pilot? Um, Why is he called the pilot? Well, like the pilot ship. Like, he was the, he was the, he was the pilot vessel. Okay, right? I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Right. So he, did, I don't, we don't know his name. The guy. So I'm just calling so him the guy, the pilot. Yeah. Right? So he frees these two girls, They and the, and the crew allow him to do so, um, you know, reluctantly, I suppose. So he brings the two girls back to the coast and reunites them with, you know, attempts to reunite them with their parents. He doesn't actually know who they are, but brings them back. 
And the legends say that the two were so grateful, they didn't know how to thank him for freeing them. However, they ominously advised the man not to return to that ship, neither that day or ever again should that ship return to the bay if, and, and the pilot flag be flown again, right? Oh. Because as a terrible misfortune was coming. And it came very, very quickly for Captain Craig and his crew. <laughs> so the anchor was lifted. The sails were pulled up, and Captain Craig had navigated for only 10 minutes, as the story goes, when a massive swell suddenly came up over the deck and sent the ship careening into nearby rocks. Basically, the crew that were on deck were launched into the sea, drowned instantaneously. Uh, the rest of the crew below deck would have drowned because they the sh- ship sank very, very quickly. The only two that managed to survive were the captain and his first mate, very briefly on deck, clinging to a lifeboat. Um, but they too drowned very, very quickly in the nearby waters as nobody on shore went to their aid. Mm-hmm. So that very same, so the, the, the girls on shore watched this happen mm-hmm. along with other people in the, the village at that location. And the same evening later on, there were signs of a storm coming in. And while the locals watched the, the, the storm coming in, mm-hmm. there was a massive red light that slid out over the surface of the bay, as the story goes. And basically, people could not believe their eyes because this massive ball of fire took the exact three-mast form of Captain Craig's ship. Whoa. So the masts and all. And the people could even see the crew members on the deck, lowering the sails, throwing the anchor, and lifting the flag as a signal for the pilot, as if nothing had happened. Yet the ship was on fire. Hmm. So I'm like, they're reliving what they had just yeah. lived. So it's almost as if this has become what we've talked about before, where it becomes an echo of something that's happened in the past that be- results in something very traumatic and something very, like, uh, tragic, I guess. Like, these guys are obviously ruthless pirates slash, like, you know, profiteers. That's that's brutal, though. And you know what that reminded me of? How you said it was like a big swell came up out of nowhere. So obviously there's no signs of a storm coming in. Right. And it was alluded to quite ominously by the family. But that makes me think of like a rogue wave. Like what we discussed when we were talking about the Great Lakes yeah, Triangle. Yeah, reminds me of the Bannock Burn. The what? Uh, the, like the, oh, the, yeah, the, the Bannock Burn, the ship. Yeah. Like just the rogue wave. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, up over the bow, phew, down you go. That's it. But are larger forces at work. Oh, with that. totally. And clearly, I mean, I, of course, this ties into, of course... A curse from from two indigenous girls. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they must have been the daughters of a shaman or something. Oh, someone quite powerful, you'd imagine. You'd imagine if, if, so. if this has any sort of. So, what do you make of that story? I actually really enjoyed that story. <laughs> Thanks for that. I have a couple questions. Like, did Captain Craig's ship have a name at all? I no, no? I couldn't find it. Yeah, um, not that it really matters for this because it's just called the Fire Ship of Shallow Bay. Mm-hmm. So it's just a ship that appears in this specific bay. Yeah. What are the dimensions of this bay? Like, did you kind of look into that at all? Like, like, is it quite big? Is it comparable to... It's large, but there's lots of... It's hard to navigate, obviously, because of a series of very small islands, rocks. It's very rocky and jagged. Okay. And therefore, obviously, you needed the pilot um, because they're not, you know, they're, they're not being a lighthouse and stuff. Uh-huh. But yeah, obviously, back then, it would have been a tight space. Tight space, yeah. Because it does remind me of when I looked, just on Google Maps, I was looking at the location of uh, where the El Caliuch was said to appear, and it's off the coast of the island of the Chilote. But it actually, so the island is a little bit off. It's kind of like 
um, I would say it's southeast to the shoreline, but then the shore actually takes a dip and does this bay. There's like this quite a significant looking bay, and then it just goes back along the oh, okay. jaggedy coastline. But I was like thinking to myself, like, okay, so that is a bay. Is this kind of responsible for sort of manipulating the visuals or like that I see type what you're of thing? Saying. I see what you're saying. Interestingly, though. All, a lot of these sightings, you say that these come about right before a storm usually, or maybe just before, like in the evening, mm-hmm. kind of that sort of like the transitionary sort of time from yeah. day to night. Yeah. Um, and so some people would try to explain that as like, oh, well, it's the movement of the sun as it sets. Um, you get these light refractions, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't necessarily make sense because with these two examples, because with this, you get an East Coast example. And then with the Chilean, you get the West Coast. Right. So you're getting opposite opposite um, sight lines, directional sight lines, right? Yeah. So maybe when we get into theories, that can come into play yeah, more. Yeah, possibly. That's, that's an interesting point. I'm very. I'm just looking at the bay here now. It's quite an interesting looking bay. It almost looks like a sea monster. Looks very Ogopogo-esque. Shagor Bay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very okay. That's that's an interesting point. I really like that story. Ended very well. It didn't have anything to do with. What I thought, like with the lighthouse. Yeah, like just straight <laughs> smashing on the rocks because you can't see where you're going. That's, that's oh, yeah. the whole time I was thinking to myself, um, the stories we were heard when we were doing research for um, Roanoke and how ruthless um, the attempts to colonize and gain a settlement there and, and the interactions between the um, the settlers and that the, uh, or at profiteers slash settlers, you know, the yeah. profiteers were the ones causing the waves that were quite negative. Definitely. And then the settlers were the ones that just ended up like yeah. all the terrible things that came yeah, about. They, they took the flack for it a long time. <laughs> yeah. So that's one version as to the, the origin of the ship. And obviously that's a paranormal explanation. If you believe that to be what it is, it's like a cursed, ship. right? A cursed ship. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another epic version of the story. And it, like, <laughs> sorry. I love how you said that. You're like, there is another epic version of the story. <laughs> so coldly. <laughs> epic epic version. Dun, dun, dun. I need to do like the Mad Devlin. Mad Devlin. I was going to But okay. So this one is a, a story about a Portuguese captain and again, a privateer. And mm. it's in and around the same time. So very, very similar to the first one, but different in its own right. And honestly, this one's a little more hardcore, in my opinion. This is a lot earlier, too. It says 1501 versus the other one was 1800s. Yeah, exactly. So this is in the prime time of being a pirate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, in 1500, there was a pirate by the name, well, privateer, by the name of Gaspar Corte Real. He was a Portuguese privateer, okay? And he visited the area of Shaler Bay and basically all up and down the east coast of Canada and the United States doing his thing. And he claimed to be a navigator, but... He was just—he was deceptive and crooked and stole stuff all the time. So, his intentions were even more grim, though, than most pirates. It mm. wasn't just about stealing furs, goods, and you know, taking advantage of the locals for their, you know, their wares, mm. so to speak. <laughs> I was out walking, selling my wares. <laughs> but this guy's business was the slave trade. He was going up and down the East Coast, basically year year after year just stealing north american indigenous people for the european slave trade just kidnapping them yes um he wasn't do- he, he he was thinking to himself like like so i mean it's kind of interesting historically when you think about it like the idea that obviously africa was the hub of that right and the portuguese were one of the first nations to kind of venture in and then just the idea of going yeah. that far away like to north america to get slaves yeah it's crazy. That is kind of insane. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just a crazy world we live in. Anyway. It is. It really is. So, okay. So, 
Right. Where am I at here? Okay. The story goes that he traded in the area in the past and... On one visit, he tempted many of the lo- local indigenous men, so this would have been Micmacs, to come aboard his ship for a gathering of sorts, basically giving them, this, this is so classic, right? The gestures of goodwill, good faith, mm. um, cooking food, having uh, food, like alcohol, obviously, so food and drink and music was played, and the crew was to, be, was to make sure that they were intoxicated. Once they were too far gone to know what was happening, they were led below deck to sleep it off. The problem with this was, of course, that they awoke, <laughs> already miles and miles out to sea oh, no. without any land in sight. They had been tricked and stolen um, en route to Portugal and uh, or on en route to Portuguese ports where slaves mm. could be bought and sold. Yeah. So that is a grim thing to wake up to. Like that that's gonna really put a emphasis on your hangover. Yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. That's, so, that's that's a bad way to go. But this guy's got some balls because he not only does this he returns the following year to go even further because he felt, oh, my last year of stealing these slaves was really successful. I'm going to go back and they probably just forgot. What an idiot. So, okay. So Gaspar returns the following year to penetrate further after all success. He wasn't in... in so much success. So much success. Your mother would be so proud. And he obviously wasn't intimidated by it. The Micmac people, right? Like, he yeah. he wasn't thrown off by it at all. So No, no, he's got guns. They've got bows and arrows. That's mm-hmm. right. Even though you got to load it one bullet at a time, true, which is a little cumbersome, but... Uh, anyway. Well, you've got a whole crew, all of them pointing at single time, and they can, you know what I mean? That's like, very true. Yeah. So he returned, but arriving uh, late in the evening, the the, shore, the the boat was anchored offshore. You know, there was no pilot vessel. And at this point, I don't even think he, they would have been waving the flag. They probably would have been attempting to navigate on their own. Yeah, because it's only 1502, right? Like, well, this is way earlier than the way first earlier, story. And mm-hmm. not only that, but not only that, but just obviously these people aren't going to help you. No. Like anyone on shore isn't going to help you get to shore. No. So anyway. You're on your own. Right. So the crew goes to sleep. They're planning on navigating further in the morning to get to shore, right? But while they're asleep, the vengeful local Micmac people snuck aboard the ship, massacred the crew. The only one who was spared was the Captain Gaspar, (laughs) but of course not for long. The story goes that he was tied up on a rock at low tide and the entire, uh, well, the village of where the original men the previous year had been stolen from sat and watched and had a nice uh, meal uh, as a group as they slowly watched the waters rise and drown Gaspar in oh, front of them. That must have been satisfying. Yeah, you'd think, right? Ugh, I don't know if I'd be able to watch that, to be honest. Well. I would I would probably want it to happen, but I just don't know if I could physically endure eating and witnessing it. You know what I mean? I mean, of I'm all one of those ways people. To, you're a softie. I am. <laughs> I'm one of those people that would be like, I, I just, yeah. Like, I do like the idea of revenge, especially in this case. I just, maybe I'm just a little bit of a softie. I mean, he had it coming, obviously. Yeah. Big time. He did. Quite frankly, I think it should have been worse. I would be, like, I'd pull Louise from, like, Bob's Burgers, where it's like, <laughs> she she's, like, trying to be all hardcore and trying to be like, yeah, we're doing this. And then, be, like, have a last minute change of heart. Like, oh, but it's Christmas time. <laughs> boo, booing you Doing right the now. right thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, boo, boo Doing the right thing didn't exist in this uh, situation. I Not think. really. Although his brother, uh, Gaspar's brother, sort of tried to do the right thing and by their family uh, anyway. So the following year, his brother returns um, because, it, because of course, Gaspar doesn't come back with another shipment of slaves. So mm-hmm. uh, things are getting a little fishy. So in 1502, his brother returns and he arrives 
same location, to find that his brother's ship is still anchored in the same spot completely intact. So he sees this as a good sign, obviously. Mm -hmm. They come a little closer, they anchor their own ship, they hop in their own boats, and they uh, paddle over to board his brother's ship. They're calling out as they come towards it. There's no answer, but still at this point, they're not really too concerned. They board the ship, but as soon as they do, it's surrounded by dozens of war canoes, and the brig of of his brother's ship very Trojan horse situation Mm. bursts open and it's full of Micmac warriors. (laughs) They saw the approaching Portuguese ship Mm -hmm. and had it all planned out for when the next person came back. Yeah. So in a desperate attempt though, to flee this attack, they're being ambushed. He quickly um, knocks over, basically, I guess it would have been, I don't kerosene know if it would have been kerosene, lamp. something like that. Yeah, know. oil, an oil lamp of some kind. Whale oil. And sets it ablaze because he knew at that point, basically, he was, he was uh, committing suicide for himself and the members of the crew that had boarded the ship. Oh. They knew they weren't going to make it. Yeah. So he sets the ship ablaze and he vowed in his last breath that the that his spirit and the spirits of those on board his brother's ship would roam the Bay of Shalur for a thousand years. <laughs> Very specific. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, no one will ever forget what yeah. happened that day. It's like, okay, buddy, we just got to wait it out a thousand years, all right? Dang, um, that's so, a story. Yeah. And there's kind of some different varying details to that. Like, one of them is that the the fire spreads so quickly that even some of the Micmac warriors and the uh, his crewmen are catching fire and jumping off the ship as it's happening. And so that is something people see in the ghostly phantom. It's... It's people abandoning Oof. ship while their skin is on, like, they're yeah. calm ablaze themselves. Oof. Yeah. Um, there's even, so, and then this is where we get, so this is what people claim to see. They, they claim to see this, yeah, this flaming ship, people screaming in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also apparitions seen on shore, which mm-hmm. is very, very, very strange. There's, there's a few different stories, and to be totally honest with you, the one that I had, the blog got taken down. So I was like, I was, I was kind of transcribing it and looking at it and I went back for it and it was like, this website's been removed. Their annual Um, subscription ran out. Yeah, it must (laughs) have. Yeah. And and I couldn't find the story anywhere else, but it was about this lady named, it was like Mrs. Poppin or something like that. But she's a very, she's a real person Mm -hmm. for sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep digging this up and I will post it to the forum when I find it so that everyone can go check it out anyway. Cool. But the story basically goes that this is a woman who lives by the, by the, by the ocean, Mm -hmm. by the bay, (laughs) down (laughs) Down by the bay. bay. And then this, this is recent. This is in like the fifties, sixties, I believe Mm -hmm. when she essentially is outside and she claimed to hear kind of like whatever, an injured person. To go around the corner of her front yard to find essentially a Portuguese sailor pleading with her in Portuguese, she doesn't know what he's saying, Mm -hmm. to help him, holding his hands out to help him, and he's severely burned, and as the story goes that as she approaches him to (laughs) figure out what the heck she's seen, Mm -hmm. he flies past her. Like, he runs, except for the fact that he is legless. His legs have been essentially, like, burnt and melted. Like Oh, so it's not even like they're just missing? Like, you can't see the legs? Like, Like the the legless Roman soldiers, for example? No, exactly. He's Mm -hmm. he's literally, like, they're stumps of, like, flesh. Um, He's bleeding. He's he's essentially, like, massive, like, third-degree burn trauma ghost. Hmm. Um, but that's so weird though, right? Because it's separate from a ship and it's 
just in the area. Mm-hmm. But I find that to be the creepiest thing ever. Because, That's really neat. That really yeah. goes far to explode a lot of the uh, more um, mundane explanations, right? As far as this could being um, maybe not something paranormal, but maybe some sort of naturally occurring phenomena. Could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So, what do you make of this one? I mean, essentially, I've, I've already given the description, but yeah, three-mast ship engulfed in flames, people scurrying around the rigging on the deck, trying to save themselves. There's a lot of similarities <sighs> I mean, to the El Caliuch and to um, the, it's more specifically to the teaser, I would say, with this one in particular. And if you guys haven't listened to our cross-country checkup, I think we called it Legends of the North. And we did cover the teaser in that, and I think it was part two of that series. But if you haven't checked that out, I would definitely highly recommend that, just for some more context. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, like, both of these stories are, they're so incredible, right? And so amazing, and definitely colored with, I would imagine, um, some, like, reaches or whatever, embellishments or something, but mm-hmm. I really, honestly, I'm having a hard time picking my favorite. <laughs> I know, right? I do have a sighting here, actually. Um, oh, really? I, I wanted to read out. You know, uh, I kind of like the one, the first one you told better, though, about how it could have been, like, Captain the Mac girls, but <clears throat> the second one makes more sense if, you know, if it is like this, like, like the woman claiming to see a crewman crewman that type of thing because obviously there was no fire involved in the first crash like no unless you are unless the fire is just like hellfire (laughs) like they're just a damned ship and that's why it's forever burning and you know that's an interesting discrepancy right because or contrast i guess is the idea that this is definitely eternal damnation like we're just stuck and we're just gonna be roaming for all eternity in the seven seas and then with the El Caliuch, for example, we get both. So there's a little bit more ambiguity there. I, or, or, yeah. Because that's what you do most often find is the theme with ghost ships is eternal damnation. Pretty much. This idea that you will forever, yeah, be destined to just stay, remain in this state of purgatory, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so what was your sighting? Okay, I have a sighting here, and the reason I wanted to give this uh, is because it is kind of detailed. It's the most detailed I could find, Mm -hmm. but also because it kind of throws a monkey wrench into the first two stories Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons, Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll see it in a sec. So this was a sighting in the 1950s uh, by a woman by the name of Florence Godin, Godin, Mm -hmm. and she she was talking about this and interviewed later on. She saw this when she was younger. But when she was interviewed about it, she was working at a local museum and uh, was a member of the Irish and Scottish associations in Bathurst and was basically studying lineages and writing about it for the museum and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So, but her story goes as follows. It was basically in and around 9.30 p.m. And I believe this was in July. I didn't write this down, but it it was the summertime because she was walking from one person's house to the next and she wasn't wearing winter clothes in the story. So it was, it was summertime. She looked east across the water, close to the White's Channel, which is just this narrow stretch through Shaler Bay. And there it was, as she described it. The Shaler Bay ghost ship set afire. Some other people nearby also saw this as God in turn and yelled at them to call the fire department. And there was actually a couple that got out of a taxi cab and watched this for a while with her as well. So she believed that there was something terribly wrong and that somebody needed to like send out a freaking. uh, a, a coast guard vessel oh, to like help, in. right? <laughs> so 
she quickly kind of realizes that like, there's no way that this is a ship on fire because somebody, somebody would already be out there helping them. Right. And she recalled, this was a quote from her that there was a wharf that fishermen would, uh, would use and that wharf, they would use that wharf. And when it was done, basically when wharves were of no use anymore and they couldn't even be disassembled to reuse, they would burn them. So sometimes mm-hmm. they would burn them and even push them out push them out and let them burn out in the bay, which obviously nowadays sounds like Mm, very illegal and not allowed. But in the 1950s, I can totally see that being okay. Oh yeah. So, but. (laughs) The way you keep saying wharf, just right. Wharf Arts Society. (laughs) The Wharf Arts Center. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Bob's references in our show. (laughs) Okay. So, but this is where it's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. The front of the ship in question was facing her and the people on shore. So facing them. Okay. And it was its masthead was adorned with a fully carved woman, clearly on the front of the ship. Interesting. So that's a very clear sighting. That makes that me, it reminds me of like a pirate, that's a classic like pirate ship, right? Where you've got like the mermaid on like on the front of your of your vessel, right? And it does align with the timelines of the the two stories that you told, right? The idea yeah. that this would have been a wooden ship definitely it would have been um, something that would have a carved woman per right. se or whatever. Yeah. Here's the next interesting part. She clearly could see people on board panicking, as well as two distinct large dogs that she identified as French Mastiffs. Oh, cool. What? French Mastiffs being the key term yeah. here. So, so not Portuguese. Not looking to be a Portuguese ship, not looking to be like a Spanish warship, not looking to be a British transport vessel. Mm-hmm. Okay. They... She says, she continues on to say, there was a woman aboard who was being pulled back by another man. Then another man approached and brandished a sword. The clothing from what Godin could share uh, was obviously from very, was, was dated. So it was like 16th century mm-hmm. clothing. French Mastiffs though. Uh, well, she, I can I say have, that, sorry, just on the, that it being a specific French Mastiff. If you look up Spanish Mastiff versus French Mastiff. Very similar. Very similar. And then even an English Mastiff very it, is very similar. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> so they all could all be. Sure. It's just like the King Corsos. Remember when I was so obsessed with those and like, there's all these different versions of them? It's just an interesting thought. It is. The, the other thing that she pointed out that was really specific and very interesting is that she could excuse me, couldn't recollect any cannons or guns on the ship, but it was still a three-masted ship. Oh. So no cannons or guns. That is not going to be a 16th century Portuguese vessel. It probably would have been more like 1800. They would have. Or even then, it's like, this is clearly not a warship. No, it it would be a merchant ship. Yeah. Unprotected, which pirates would have preyed upon. Right. Mm -hmm. So not a privateering vessel, not an outright pirate vessel, and not a government-sanctioned warship. Okay. But, you know, like, the way you did describe the first story and the guy that was kind of parading as a merchant but was actually more of a privateer, like, that was... Those were blended together, those terms. So even if he was a privateer, it doesn't mean that he would actually have full-on, like, like you know, like, artillery and stuff on... Like, cannons and stuff on board. Right. So he could have just had more, you know, like, um, or less... Less obvious coercive means right. using violence that isn't that, you know. The one interesting thing that this kind of brings up, and I'm not going to dive into it because it's a whole other rabbit hole, but just the idea of this possibly being a, it could have been a French ship could in have. the sense that because there were a lot of battles between the English and French in the forming of Canada and the forming of Quebec, mm-hmm. obviously, mm. and, and New Brunswick. And of course, New Brunswick, which a lot of people, even in Canada, don't know, uh, speaks French. 
it's bilingual right. province. Um, it's not just Quebec mm-hmm. <laughs> where you like have to be able to speak French. Um, so yeah, um, lots of, lots of, lots of, uh, battles at, at sea between the English and French in that area for sure. Hmm. So could it have been from some sort of carnage left over from a, from a, an on-sea battle between the French and English? Yeah, some I don't sort know. of skirmish of sorts. Yeah. So there's a few, I mean, we're getting into kind of like, let's just migrate into all the, yeah. uh, theories and explanations here. One of them for this, uh, Bathurst phantom ship or the Showler Bay fire ship is this thing called St. Elmo's fire. Oh, it's kind of crazy. So it's basically electricity slowly discharged from the atmosphere to the earth. To the earth. Okay. okay. I just pulled up the wiki here. This is where we need Chris. But <laughs> I didn't throw this out to him because we didn't come across this before I sent him that message. But um, I do have some points from Chris Birkenbein, okay. our Dash of Science um, friend. <laughs> okay. So I don't know exactly how this would take the form of a ship. But St. Elmo's fire is, as according to Wikipedia, is a weather phenomena in which luminous plasma is created by a coronal discharge from a sharp or pointed object in a strong electrical field. So, such as those generated by thunderstorms uh, or created by a volcanic eruption. Huh. So it's a strong, uh, a pointed object in a strong electric field in the atmosphere. Interesting. So a corona, sorry, a corona discharge, like that's a completely foreign term to me, but according to Wikipedia, this means that it's an electrical discharge brought on by the ionization of a fluid such as air surrounding a conductor that's electric electrically charged electrically charged so, so, so where, where's chris we need a dash i know right <laughs> i know so but i mean the, the the thing that's standing out to me here is obviously the pointed object so it's like when you so the explanation of saint elmo's fire for the ship is that that would make sense for seeing the masts of the oh, okay. ship okay on fire um, it seems as if this needs an actual physical thing to that's um, what i was be thinking. like a beacon that's you know like know almost like tesla's sounds, coil yeah kind of thing but not that I would actually know, but yeah, I have it continues on here. It's like ordinary shows itself uh, as a tip of light on a pointed object, such as a church steeple or a mast. In addition, is accompanied by a crackling noise. So isn't it just like lightning? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds a heck of a lot like lightning, people. Um, but of course, um, the people who sort of just, just toss this explanation away tell say that they when they see the phantom ship it doesn't make any noise Mm. there's no crackling noise there's no distinctive noise from anything other than these ominous screams of those aboard Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like a natural phenomenon no doesn't it sounds like an echo from the past like i said before uh there's another idea that's even more crazy that uh the fire ship is some sort of phosphorescent marine life Mm. Uh, but of course biologists sort of think this is hilarious also, uh, one for one reason being that you would need a heck of a lot of phosphorescent marine life to come in together to make that happen. Oh, I know what it is. What? It's a whale that went and rubbed up on some phosphorescent <laughs> fungus and then ended up in the water. Must have been. Bay. <laughs> oh, it's got to be, it's got to be, it's owls. It's got to be water owls. <laughs> it's got to be owls that light up and are underwater. <laughs> Now we're just getting ridiculous. Yeah, okay. I That's... wonder, though, like, you make the argument for phosphorescent life, um, like, such as algae. What if algae had somehow gotten rubbed up onto a whale? And this whale is... I don't buy that. 
But it's like maybe they're hitching a free I ride. I love it. I love it when in paranormal studies or Fortiana, when the explanations are more extreme than the phenomena itself. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah, because you're you're making so many leaps. You're yeah. trying to find you're trying to find the Occam's razor, the most logical solution. But right. in doing that, you're actually creating all these fantastic, illogical, situations. ridiculous suggestions. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I like that idea of the St. Elmo's fire. I would love to dive into that a little bit more. Maybe um, if we do get hold of Chris, that would be an interesting thing maybe to Maybe we'll ask bust about. out a little bonus app for this Actually, episode. that would be a really good We haven't good done idea. that for a while, so maybe oh, we can do that. Oh, yeah. I'd really love to do Stay that. Stay tuned, everyone. You know, that's interesting, though, that you say this phosphorescent marine life, because I did see some people alluding to the same sorts of ideas with the um, Kaliuch. and El Kaliuch. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this idea that, yeah, maybe perhaps when people see it underwater, it is actually just this phosphorescent algae. But that, to me, doesn't make sense if it is moving at such a rapid pace. Like, that doesn't really yeah. make sense. And Algae don't move that fast. Yeah. Or at yeah. all. So another <laughs> thing know. that we have to bring up here is something that will actually be featured in our Patreon mini-sode. For this month of December. Yes. And this is the idea that we're dealing with a version of what's known as Fata Morgana. And it's actually a type of... Um, oh my gosh. I'm, it's I'm a visual phenomenon. It's a visual phenomenon, but it's a... L- light phenomenon? It's a mirage. Mirage. <laughs> That's there what I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at you. It's an audio show and Amber's just making all these arm <laughs> gestures here. <laughs> Yeah, just like... What's that game? Charades? Oh my god. Let's play charades on a podcast. (laughs) Charades, the podcast. It's going to be a real hit. Uh, uh, Oh, yes. But anyway, so this Fata Morgana. So this is a phenomenon that normally makes ships, like that are literal ships existing in the seas, passing by coastlines, makes them appear as if they are floating above the sea line and it, it it does actually come about when you get a displacement of colder air underneath warmer air and it traps light rays and can make like sort of like warp them weird. and i was talking to chris from a dash of science a little bit about this and he did say that a lot of the times it has more to do with this right like a temperature inversion than having to do with moisture and humidity but he did say actually here should i pull this up here yeah but might as well. um he he did say that um Okay. <laughs> he says, usually Fata Morgana makes things look like they're floating, but if it is particularly hot and moist, <laughs> my favorite word, moist, <laughs> you can get a shimmer. And if combined with that light from the right direction, I could definitely see a fire effect. So that was his thoughts on the um, subject. Interesting. And this is definitely a real phenomena, this Fata Morgana. And there is a lot of research going in, like Chris alluded to, Um, these research grants that were awarded to NASA to actually work on sort of technology, optical technology to combat this at sea and at long ranges, because it can affect people. What if you were on, say, like the, on a Navy ship and you see something that you think is another ship, unidentifiable, coming at you, blazing, whatever, like that could be cause for alarm. Oh, absolutely. You know, like even if it is something that's totally like anachronistic, like a three-masted ship when we don't really use sailing ships to that size anymore. <sighs> no. And, you know, to that pedigree where right. it has this ornate whatever sort of quality of to it. How cool would it be if we did? Right? Yeah. I just honestly, I regret being born when I was. 
Like, I just wish mm. kind of that I could be a fly on the wall and go back and... Oh, I would want to go back to, like, times. we were talking about this the other day. Like, I'd want to go back to ancient Greek times. I'd probably want yes. to be a part of the Minoan culture because they were really sweet. really egalitarian there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would have been like, pretty good for me <laughs> as a girl. <laughs> yeah, it would have actually in ancient times. Yeah, or even Sparta. I would have loved I mean, they still, like, weren't progressive in the sense that they used slaves and stuff like that. Well, but, true. Uh, you know, as long as you were Minoan, you'd be all right. Yeah. Right? Right. Unless <laughs> 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 you get the kidnapped by someone else. Like, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So let's get into this more philosophical elements because I really love this. Sure. And introducing this idea of like ghost ships being like mythical technological monsters. Ooh, like, okay. can we bring in cryptozoology to this conversation? Is this something completely outside of that? Like, I wanted to throw that out to you, oh, my man. resident cryptozoologist here. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, obviously cryptozoology doesn't fall at, at, in its technical sense, does not touch on any of this stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if you think of... I mean, Adam from the Pine Barrens Institute is going to hate me for this, but I mean, uh, like if you consider some aspects of cryptozoology being related to more of the paranormal, like I always come back to Skinwalker Ranch and like the idea of that one of those UCLA researchers that was hired by Bigelow seeing a creature enter and exit a portal. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of, you know, an unknown creature, it's unknown. But it's not unknown in the sense it's like a thylacine because it's not from our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, I feel like there's elements to the Kaliuch that aren't a damned ship. So yeah, more, I'd say more, you could argue that there's you could tie it in. It's more amorphous than that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though, if you do get into the nuances of say the actual definition of cryptozoology, where it's like crypto, which means hidden, and then zoology, which is like the study of animals. animals like then how do we know? We're not particularly talking about biological things here so right. maybe not but no. you know there are elements i thought like i thought that was an interesting sort of idea to throw I, out no i i think that's an interesting question because mm-hmm. of the well people seeing it as a whale and things yeah. like that i mean that's a i mean we we did a thunderbirds episode as a cryptozoology episode but that is a mythical creature of folklore True. it's not a missing could animal be, it or could whatever be a spirit right? more exactly than a, so that ties mm-hmm. into stuff like this also had this other thought here and uh, not my thought originally but i'm just gonna introduce it like from other um philosophers and things but the idea of a ship as an entity in its own right with an identity a personality um that can similarly shift into a phantasmal state much the same way as a drowned sailor's soul so it is a ghost in itself like you know Ooh, i like that mm-hmm. i like that well yes. you know that you know what that makes me think of? What? I don't know why. It's going to sound super random, but like Robert the Doll or oh. objects that can take on energy. Yeah. And can have... not a ship. And can be sentient in themselves almost exactly. to a degree. Mm. Um, especially if it's a ship that's, uh, you know, seen its share of, say, like people dying below deck, slave trade, um, a mutiny, perhaps, mm-hmm. violent, terrible, horrific things that would, cling to objects. Totally. So how would that color the personality of the ship? Would it be an evil ship? Would it be something that counteract that evil and, and maybe spend its time trying to gather the drowned sailors of whatever, if you want to sort of right. believe that whole idea of the Kali Uch there? Sure. Even though it is colored by these sort of uh, black sorcerers or something. These yeah. <laughs> Doing their, their weird like Mardi Gras freaky party up there like <laughs> Mardi Gras. i picture it like a mardi gras i don't know why like they're just like dancing on deck and it's all like a big you know <laughs> i like this 
idea you had written down here where it's like water is a portal. That's yeah. a really huge That's a that's a that's, rabbit hole. That's ripe for the conversation. But yeah, so we've touched on this a million times, like in other episodes and stuff like that, and people are familiar with this, but I mean water water is obviously has very sacred properties to it, and it's often seen as a point of crossing over or a portal. Mm-hmm. And we touched on that in, which episode Katesh, was it? Uh, well, Katesh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, it came up in looking at Celtic folklore and the idea of rivers, um, oh, yes. the threshold of crossing a river being a metaphor for going to the other side and things like that. But when it comes to ghost ships and the idea of a damned ship being trapped in like this purgatory, right? I feel like water plays a cool role in that, the developing of that, like something getting stuck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's a portal and, and, and it is in a physical sense too. Like even when you're like, you're above water and you dip your hand beneath and just like even the way it looks when you go beneath, when you, you know what I mean? Like the meniscus around and all that kind of stuff. Totally. It's a portal. It's. I'm getting another, well, maybe uh, like less of a portal, but more of like, say when we looked at annihilation, for example, mm-hmm. we get that the viewpoint through water, the idea that water can create a prism it can refract things in different ways it can it can distort things right. as well i guess what i'm trying to say okay it's not a portal in and of itself but the presence of water and the the shape of it and the the way it exists can facilitate mm, yeah these transfers can and induce these, it right mm-hmm. and, and 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 act as a medium for it yeah so, that's a great yeah. yeah it's the site at which these things right. take place yeah Exactly. The site of ambiguity of it all. Right. So, I mean, that I just think that's so cool. Yeah, like in Lake, like in Katesh with Lake Svetloyar, people hear sounds. They, they hear the bells. They hear the cries coming from beneath the lake, and they feel the presence, but the lake is super shallow, and it's been dragged, and there's nothing there. Nothing. But that comes back to the Foucault thing. Mm-hmm. It's a place without a place. Yes. It is somewhere. It is but somewhere. It isn't... It's, it's slipped through. Right. Mm-hmm. It's through one of those cracks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that. And I'm a And we can hear it, right? Too. We can hear the bells. We can hear the singing. We can hear Absolutely. it, you know, like, and that's a different sense. That's an intangible sense, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is totally a, a kind of out of left field and stuff, but that's where eventually when it's once, once it's not like kind of a too soon type conversation, when it's like an MH370 and like things that just disappear. Mm-hmm. what crack did you go through? You know what I mean? Like, totally. think, like potentially. Potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. Yeah. Very, very cool stuff. Oh, I forgot about MHG70. There's been so many others like it. Do I mean, is even is there any great... updates on that one? Like, no. But even to go back to our Great Lakes episode, yeah. like where there, I can't remember, the, the, the one of the first ones we mentioned in the aircraft episode, gone, vanished, no mm-hmm. trace. It was a full-size passenger liner, just outright <laughs> gone. It slipped through some sort of a crack. Must have. Um, the interesting thing there, though, by comparison to this, is of course we don't see phantom planes flying by. No, you know, like there's a ghost plane flying overhead. It's That's like, a always a ghost ship to identify, though. <laughs> True. Like maybe if you saw and looked up and it looked like a World War II plane, it'd be quite obvious. But even that, right? You still see those, right? Like people do reconstructed claim. ones yeah, and yeah. stuff. So it would be hard because you'd have to break out the binoculars and be like, "Is there a ghost in there?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the same. Anyway. This was, uh, so that's, yeah, I mean. That's that, really fun. That pretty much wraps it up. This has been a really cool conversation. I have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, my dear. It was a really fun week, and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We want to hear your take, of course. Absolutely. We always want to. And, yeah, um, just to reiterate, we do have our special 
Patreon mini-sode free couple of weeks all the way up to the new year. We're going to be putting that on for all of our regular listeners. Yes. And so make sure you hit that link in this episode description. That will take you to our Patreon page. Absolutely. Because there's a fun bunch of stuff on there that you should probably check out. <laughs> we would recommend. And all of our Patreon uh, members would too because they're having a great time over Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is so there anything else you want to mention? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, before, yeah. So yeah, go, go check out Patreon. I'm super stoked for that. You guys are going to love that uh, mm-hmm. one we have up for all of you and um shout out to charlene ramler <gasps> i hope i'm pronouncing your last name right i'm gonna triple check and make sure i am we got our but first executive producer yes so charlene has joined our team on into the portal yes. um as a producer of the show mm-hmm. um via patreon yep. so you guys can hop on there and check out what she's um uh what she's joined onto. and uh yeah so she's basically yeah contributing to the show and uh helping us keep the lights on and produce the show produce yes. the show so thank you to our very first executive producer yes. charlene rambler that is Amber's serious voice yeah. there it is That's and of course thank you to all of our other patrons and all of our regular listeners and uh, you guys are all awesome you and, guys really are like, um whether whether you're, yeah we appreciate all of you you will brighten our days Absolutely. and if any of you got a free moment just hop onto itunes and give us a we need to reviews. stock up on reviews again apparently like so, seriously yeah. we've got that stupid <laughs> moira person that is just uh, right at the top there and i can't yeah. get rid of her now so you yeah. guys gotta help me out that's right <laughs> <Helps> anyway out. <laughs> so once again thank you so much for joining us here on into the portal you can reach us at into the portal uh, mailbox at gmail.com at into the portal podcast on instagram at into the portal one on twitter come join the conversation and hit us up on facebook too we uh, we love chatting with you guys there yeah so uh, enjoy the rest of your sunday and week and we will see you guys on friday for another film friday mm-hmm. stay tuned